Hey, Sam. Hey, Bev. What you drinking over there? I'm drinking a Six Sense Merc Juice. Ooh. Merc Juice sounds like just dirty. <laughs> it does sound <laughs> like kind of dirty, murky. doesn't it? Um, I mean, it is spelled M-U-R-K. Um, so, yeah, it is right. that kind of Merc. Um, it's a New England style IPA. Uh-oh. And you might not recognize this, um, but this is a beer that I had mentioned when we went down to Six Sense Brewing Company mm-hmm. um, when we were in Jackson, Ohio. And this was the beer that I said was the best beer I had ever tasted. Oh, damn. Yeah. So I and I found it in a can at a bottle shop in Portsmouth, Ohio. Oh, sweet. So we bought it because they had just started canning like when we were at the brewery for the last time um, or for the one time we went for the last time. See, I just like make <laughs> stuff up sometimes. <laughs> it's fine. You can correct it next week. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so let's see if when I drink it out of a can, if it still is the best beer I've ever had. Drum roll, please. <laughs> it's still really good. Um, But it does not have the same wow factor out of a can as it does on draft. Well, you know, that's to be expected, right? Yeah, it is. It's because like when beer comes out of a tap, there are things that you can like adjust on it to tune in the mouthfeel. And I know Mm -hmm. that sounds really weird, but like mouthfeel is like a real way to describe how you enjoy a beer. Yeah. And um, the Merc Juice had like a really like creamy mouthfeel so I don't know (laughs) this all sounds terrible I'm like a like a little teenage boy like creamy (laughs) mouthfeel oh boy but it does it makes a difference like in the flavor because you know like that's Mm -hmm. one of the senses that you use to to enjoy the beer um but it is a really good beer I still really like it and New England style IPAs aren't even my style of beer in fact my husband's gonna be really mad when he sees that there's a merc juice missing from the fridge (laughs) (laughs) oh no (laughs) so what are you drinking over there so I have some wine from my favorite Michigan winery Tabor Hill it's the 2016 Pinot Noir, um, mm. and it's quite delicious. It kind of, like, there's kind of a mouthfeel thing for wine, too, because, like, you can describe a wine as chewy if it's thick. Um, oh, yeah, or, like, dry or buttery. Yeah, yeah. yep, yep. Um, so this one, I like, you know, Pinot Noir because it's it's a good, um, I would call it a good beginner red wine because, you know, red wine can be a little intense for people if they're not used to it because this one's not super dry um it's more on like the fruity spectrum but it still has that like red wine vibe I don't know how to describe it but like if I have a hard day at work I don't come home and drink white wine I come home and drink red wine because it just feels more serious I (laughs) maybe a little more sophisticated I don't know like like you're drinking it like you mean it um yeah You know, so after the week I had, it just felt appropriate. I actually opened this during the um, Michigan-Michigan State game yesterday because I knew, oh, I could drink some of it now and then I could get close to like finishing it tomorrow. So it's still pretty good, you know, and and I don't just leave it sitting 
for a couple of weeks and then it's not as fresh. So I was planning out my wine like I plan out my meals. So oh, I, good. Yeah, I feel like I'm like, it's like a new level of adulting that is no happening. No wine wasted. Exactly, because, you know, skunked wine is just, it's mm. not a good time. So Yeah, no, it's not a good time. I totally agree with your assessment that Pinot Noir is a good beginner wine. That's usually what I recommend to people as a beginner wine. I'm mm-hmm. not much of a wine drinker anymore, though. So I usually feel like a phony when I'm giving people wine advice. <laughs> That's why we're such a good pair, because I don't feel like I'm knowledgeable to give good beer advice. I can be like, yeah, I like that one. Um, but yeah, no. And I know wine, you know beer. It's like we're the perfect There perfect we go. Pair. We complement each other. We sure do. At yes. least like when it comes to liquor or not liquor, you know, things you drink <laughs> that are alcoholic that aren't liquor. That aren't liquor. Liquor just gets it just me opens in trouble. my beer, I swear. <laughs> See, it's like I get behind the microphone and sometimes like I I don't know. I get nervous and I can't say the words right anymore. But that's okay. It's, you know, it's just us and, you know, a couple thousand people listening. (laughs) Hopefully not. I feel like at this point they probably shouldn't be judging us unless they just found us. In which case, welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. Um, This is the podcast where we clearly drink and talk about farming things. (laughs) That's right. And sometimes we go off on tangents. Like uh, our whole episode of Tangents that's up on the Patreon, because that's where we put all our BS. We started chatting before the episodes because uh, Bev and Sam are chatty, and we Mm -hmm. decided to record the chattiness and put it on the Patreon for the people that wanted to listen to it. So you can opt into it and not feel forced to listen to a lot of BS before we get into the meat and potatoes of all of the farming things. And correct me if I'm wrong, Bev, but that BS is still free to everyone on the Patreon. Yes, the BS is totally free to everyone on the Patreon. And speaking of the Patreon, our drinks this episode were sponsored by Christine Keani. So cheers, lady. Yay. And her Instagram is at homemade underscore confetti. And she takes the most vibrant, colorful pictures I've ever seen in my entire life on Instagram. Um, so go over there and check her out. Give her a follow if you like what she's doing, because we do. So And yeah. she has the most amazing cat ever. Ooh. Can we talk about how cool her cat is? Have you seen pictures of her cat? Have I seen? I feel like I have. Um, but I'm definitely double checking right now and then I'll probably have one of those. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're like, I recognize that cat. Oh yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I want to clone this cat because I'm the picture I'm looking at is from September 30th and the cat has been kind of shaved and yes. has boots. It yes. looks like the cat is wearing Ugg boots and I'm so boots happy with right the now. fur. With the fur. <laughs> it's oh my amazing. God. And this cat's wearing a sweater and another one. Oh, my God. I can't get it up. You guys got to go. Even if I feel like even if you're not a cat person, you will appreciate this cat so much. Yeah, I'm not a cat person. And I appreciate that cat. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You're Sounds so like, cute. Bev, you're not a cat person. I, I kind of figured um, I had the sense from you that you weren't. Just because you live on a, on a farm and you don't have barn cats or anything. So I That's wondered true. if maybe you weren't. And that's okay, because not everybody should be a cat person. They're very unique creatures. 
That is true. They are very unique. And we'll get to yes. talk more about cats later. Woo-hoo. Yes, we will. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Meow. Um, so make sure you check out our Patreon. And just as a little, um, you know, reminder or some confidence for our $5 and above Patreon supporters, Sam will be shipping out your gifty. Um, either it's already been shipped out or it'll be shipped out this afternoon by the time you hear this. It's pretty damn cute. I finalized the design and showed Bev and she gave us the seal of approval. So I'm we will so take excited for it. It took me a while to like figure out how to do that. Yeah, so, I, I, I understand that. The creative process is not something that just happens instantly. So I oh think no. people are going to be yeah. glad that you took your time um, and that you created that. I hope so. I think it's super cute. And, you know, I think we can reuse that design that I came up with for other things, too. I agree. So, um, yeah, our Patreon is just a extra place where you can support us. Um, I think the first level is like at $2. But anybody that's $5 and above, um, we do gifts about every other month. So... If, or every couple of months. Every yeah. Months. Yeah. Like... Three or four times a year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to think of some Christmas ideas. Oh. So, so if you want a little gifty from us, you know, we don't like, you know, we're not proponing, oh, go pay $5 and get a gift. Um, only please support us if you actually want to. It's just our little way of saying, you know, thank you. Because right. we're, we're super flattered that people want to just support us and give us their hard-earned dollar. So... You know, if that if you're into it, cool. If not, that's fine too. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Bev put some extra stuff up there for you to check out that only Patreon supporters can listen to too. So we like to to give you some extra stuff. So yeah, go check it out. And you know, um, if Patreon isn't your thing um, as a way to support us, um, you can buy stuff that Sam makes mm. off of our website, mm-hmm. and that supports the podcast too. Yep, we have stickers. I don't make those, but um, we <laughs> ship them to you. Um, we have some barware. Um, I saw some people inquiring about it on the Instagram this week, so that was exciting. But yeah, we're looking. I know we. it's like we keep saying it and it hasn't happened. Promise you, we haven't forgotten about, you know, the fall line. <laughs> Of now t-shirts. that it's so cold I that know. a hoodie doesn't work anymore. <laughs> well, I I still want a hoodie for my house because I'm refusing to turn the heat on. Oh my <laughs> because gosh! Propane's so expensive, but we have like a little electric fireplace in our living room. So okay, good. So you at least have that. So you have something yes. to warm it's, up a little bit. You know, right. it's still like 65 in our house, so it's really not that bad. Oh my um, gosh, I have the thinnest blood ever. If it is below 68 in here, I'm wearing a ski cap and all of my layers. <laughs> See, but I trained for this as a child because we I grew up with propane and we had an incredibly drafty house. So I would mm. sleep with like electric blank- heated blankets and just be so cold all the time that I'm so used to it now. And I was not raised with air conditioning um, oh yeah so we would be super like hot as balls in the in the summer and then cold as balls in the winter so it's like I've trained for this all my life really I wish I had trained for it all my life because I feel super wasteful every time that propane truck has to come and every time I see my electric bill <laughs> you're like so you're the bougie out of the two of us I'm over here like <laughs> 
I'm like, I'm going to wait. My goal is to at least wait until November because we don't have the kids again until the weekend before Halloween, which is like when this drops, we'll, we'll have them. But you know, cause they're the ones that I'm more concerned about. Oh yeah. Cause they're not going to be happy if it's they, like freezing in the house. <laughs> they have not trained for this their whole lives, but I will no. tell them to layer up and put some socks on and you know, and to probably just deal with it a little bit. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll probably turn, we'll put it, we'll, we'll turn it on and put it up to 68 when they show up probably. And then I'll shut it right back off until I can have the propane people come back out. So yeah, there we go. And that was one of our tangents. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> um, also join our Facebook group and yes. review us in all the places. There'll be links to those things in the show notes. Yes. Please do that. Oh, oh, and it'd probably be good to tell you that our Facebook group is called We Drink and We Farm Things, which may or may not be obvious to you if you are a new listener. I did see that we had a new listener come in this week. She had only listened to one episode and, you know, joined our group. So, oh, that's pretty cool. Welcome. Yeah. So, thanks for joining our group and listening to our craziness. Um, that's pretty cool. So, yep, go check out We Drink and We Farm Things, and we have a good time in there. So I do have some follow-up. Okay. What what do you got this week? So I have follow-up on my accidental SCOBY. It's doing quite well. Uh, It looks like a SCOBY. So (laughs) I'm going to say it's doing all right. Um, And now in addition to the SCOBY, I have like a whole fermentation counter because my neighbors made uh, apple butter the other day and they brought all of the apple butter scraps to me which is like the cores and the peels yeah you can't give chickens the cores because they have seeds in them Um, if you don't know apple seeds have like a little bit of cyanide in them Mm -hmm. Um, and you wouldn't think it would be too big of a deal and probably one apple core won't kill your chickens but still chickens are pretty sensitive to that so it's just best not to give it to them Um, so I use the apple cores to make uh, apple cider vinegar. I was like, what's the word Ooh. for that thing again? Yeah. So you can make your own apple cider vinegar at home. It's really easy. I put all of the cores and some of the peels into a big gallon jar and then I cover it with filtered water and I drop one of my weighted, I have like these glass weighted discs that I use for fermentation. I drop that in there so that the like cores and the pieces stay under the water. Cause if any of them are sticking up out of the water, they'll grow mold on them. Which isn't a big deal. You just have to scrape it off because you don't want mold in your apple cider vinegar. You cover it with cheesecloth, put a rubber band on it, and leave it to ferment for a week or two. You'll know when it's ready because it'll be like kind of bubbly and it'll smell kind of um, vinegary. Mm. And then you'll drain it all out into your individual jars. Cover those with cheesecloth and a rubber band and leave them to ferment for another like two or three weeks. And you'll know that they're ready when they have the mother floating around in them. Oh, so there you go. That's how you make apple cider vinegar. I didn't even like consider that you can make that on your own, which feels really silly right now, but (laughs) you know, well, it's really fun to make something out of, uh, something that would have normally just gone into like the garbage bin. Like, yeah. I mean, here we would have composted those if we weren't going to do anything else with them. So they would have at least like gotten turned back into the earth and not ended up in a landfill where they, you know, can't turn into compost. But here we got to take all of them and turn them into apple cider vinegar. And in fact, the bag, I should have taken a picture of it. It was a giant kitchen sized trash bag full of scraps 
I gave some to the goats. The goats ate some of the peels and I gave some of the peels to the chickens because they were separated really well. Like you could, the, the peels were really long, like spaghetti noodles. So I could just uh-huh. grab a handful of them and pull them so that the cores fell out. And I froze the rest in gallon bags. So each gallon bag will fit into a gallon jar and then I'll just fill it with water. So right now I only have two rounds going, but I have 10 bags in the deep freeze waiting to make more apple cider vinegar. Ooh. Well, I'm doing that all winter. <laughs> I didn't even have that in the show notes. I just decided to talk about it. No, that was good information, though. It's like you're over there being all... Well, it's so nice to, like, be able to reuse stuff, you know, and things not go to waste. So I like hearing about it and learning about it because I just don't... I'm not at that level of, like, um, you know, recycle, reuse, renew (laughs) with all my SCOBY and, you know... Well, it takes time to kind of get into it. I feel like once you start setting your mind to it, then it becomes easier to recognize other places. But like you can't necessarily say that you don't think of that because like by not turning on your heater or your air conditioner, you're being very like environmentally conscious because you're not wasting the propane or the energy that it takes to heat or cool your house. That's true. I guess my not wanting to spend money right now also helps the environment. (laughs) It does, because the less money you spend, like, the less junk you're buying, which means less things are being manufactured. It's a whole cycle. That's why it's, like, made into a triangle with arrows that are following each other. Oh, yes. That makes so much sense now. And the very first (laughs) one is reduce. And that's because reducing is the most important thing you can do for the environment. And it's, like, reducing in every area of your consumerism life. And then it's reuse, and then it's recycle. And that is your recycling lesson from Sam and Bev. (laughs) Bev's just making shit up again. No. No. (laughs) No, I think that was right. (laughs) I think it was right, too. Or it was close enough. (laughs) Yeah, I pulled all of that from memory. I had no notes on that, so... That was pretty good. And I'm sure you'll correct yourself next week if you realize you're wrong. (laughs) I will. Or if somebody calls me out on being wrong. I keep forgetting to double check myself now. So now you have to tell me or people have to tell me (laughs) if I messed up. Like, Bev, you're crazy. (laughs) But I heard you have some like fuzzy new kitties at your place. I do. They are so cute. Our barn kitties are here. Um, They arrived yesterday around... One o'clock, which was really unfortunate timing because we had a really nasty storm come through like 10 minutes after the volunteer arrived. So it was kind of rushed, but that's okay. Um, So it was kind of funny because I guess what happens is the director of Saved by Zaid will select the cats like the day before um, based on a questionnaire that you fill out. And she did so, but somebody accidentally opened the cage door for the ones that I was supposed to get, and they ran out, and these two brothers just walked right in the cage and sat down. Oh. So it was like, the director was like, oh, it's meant to be. She's going to have these two. (laughs) (laughs) So, yep, they're, they're, I don't know if they're actually brothers or if they were just like colony mates. Um, It's probably that they're colony mates. Okay. Um. But um, they're adorable. One's all black and one's like a gray kind of tiger pattern looking kitty. They're both pretty big um, for, I guess, feral cats. She said that (laughs) they were pretty heavy in their uh, carrier. 
So they've been there since the summer. Um, they were going to be euthanized, but the shelter that was going to euthanize them contacted Saved by Zade to see if they wanted them, and Saved by Zade took them, and they've been with the organization all this time, so they've fattened up quite a bit um, <laughs> since they've been there for a couple months. <laughs> um so the black kitty seems a lot friendlier at this point. Doesn't seem to mind some eye contact from me. I'm doing the, um, if you accidentally make eye contact, hold it for a second, close your eyes for one or two seconds, and then open them and look away. Um, apparently that is more relaxed than just doing something very quickly. Um, so I've been doing that. And then the gray one has been far more skeptical of me hiding a lot more but I did get to make some brief eye contact with him today and he seemed okay with it I think as long as I'm not touching him he doesn't care um but I haven't pet either of them yet which is super hard as like an animal lover and a cat person yeah um because they'd probably like claw the shit out of my hand if I tried (laughs) that would stop you (laughs) but I still I could have like on their side and stuff through the cage and they probably wouldn't have noticed but I'm still I'm just trying to respect their space because they're freaked out you know they went on a car ride they're in this strange barn the barn stinks like Loki right now because he's just in rut and just oh he's so stinky he definitely is living up to his nickname little toot (laughs) oh man like a breeze hits and you can smell it across the yard. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, and Matt saw him pee on, in his mouth for the first time the other day and he was deeply dis- disturbed. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, "We're going to band him after the girls have babies." And I'm like, "No, we're not. <laughs> You're ridiculous. <laughs> Just deal with it." Oh. But anyways, um for the cats, I've started bribing them with wet food, and that seems to be going pretty well. They have toys in there. They have beds. Like, they are living the high life. So hopefully they get used to me over the next couple of weeks, and, you know, they'll at least come when I call them for food. That's the goal. So um, haven't named them yet, but I did pull Facebook and Instagram for name ideas, and the top name picks so far are Brennan and Dale from Step Brothers, um, because that's one of my favorite stupid movies to watch. Oh, that's right. We have talked about that on the podcast before. Um, Devon and Bubba Ray Dudley, the Dudley boys from WWE. Um, That one came to me this morning. (laughs) And then the first musical I ever saw was actually Cats the Musical. So I was looking up names yesterday, and um, McCavity and Bustopher Jones are kind of sticking with me. So... You know, those are the ones that are in the running. I had some people say Sam and Dean from Supernatural, but I can't bring myself to name a cat after myself. So, Oh, yeah. I wouldn't name a cat after yourself. Have I ever no. told you that we have a dog that was named Bev? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't remember if I had said that on the podcast or not. <laughs> I think it was a while ago. Okay. So. Yeah, Yeah. her name is not Bev anymore, but the kids got a big kick out of calling this dog Bev. And that's why we have her, because we can let Bev be homeless there. That's just the story. (laughs) Well, and my my husband's dog that he had before I met him is a black lab, and her name's Emily, and my sister-in-law's name is Emily. So it's really weird when you try to talk to the human Emily. <laughs> yeah, and the dog Emily. The dog's right there. Yeah. But that's the problem with naming your animals after like names that are like real names. Yes. 
Like I didn't even be careful <laughs> realize it. Um, so Carol Pacey and the Honey Shakers. She was named after my friends that has a bands because she wanted me to. Um, but my stepmom's name is also Carol. <laughs> oh, and it, I like didn't put that together until like a few months in, and I was like, wait, I have a chicken named after my stepmom because her, her name is Carol Pacey, <laughs> but I just called her Carol. You know, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then she died, oh. which is like extra tragic. <laughs> unfortunate yes yeah but bev did you um did you have any suggestions for what i should name these new little cuddly creatures on my farm oh yeah um because this is drinking farm i totally think that you should name them jack and daniel (laughs) for obvious reasons (laughs) Uh, and my husband would appreciate that one as he's a fan of whiskey (laughs) and then my other idea was gin and tonic that's not very original either neither of those are super original but but they're kind of cute and i for some reason i hadn't gone like down the booze alley yet for those cats which is kind of odd you think that would have been like where my brain went first since i named most of my bunnies after booze yeah i mean booze is usually the first place i go to name animals like when i was thinking of naming the goats i was gonna name them all different types of hops So like, you know, Mosaic, Santa Maria, you know, there's like a ton of different varietals. So that was what I was going to go for. But then I thought that that would be a little like too difficult to explain. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like if you were like, if they were registered and you were breeding them, those would be really solid names. Because I've noticed for like the goats that are being bred, they usually have pretty long names. Like Yeah, they usually do. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. I do so have probably two. Probably would have been cute. I do have two that can be registered. Um, I haven't done it yet. In fact, I don't know if I've passed it. So I'll do my homework before our next podcast and see if I can actually register my goats still. <laughs> um, but I have their paperwork, and they like have a tattoo number or whatnot. Like okay. they didn't actually brand them, but I guess as long as yeah, I guess you don't actually have to do that. They just have to have an a, an assigned number, and you like have to know which goat it belongs to. But because oh, you know some people know. do the ear tag. Yeah, I can't remember why he told me that. I'll try to look it up for next time. Or maybe he just doesn't do it until the paperwork gets sent in. But, like, my goats don't have any markings or ear tags on them currently. Okay. Um, But I do have, like, um, numbers assigned to them specifically. But, you know, now they have, like, that ear stamp. I don't know how else to describe it. It's like a punch card. So it kind of, like, punches a pattern in their ear. And that's their tag so that you don't have to have the big plastic one anymore. Oh, see, when we got um, Diana and Cal, they have the plastic tag in their ear, but they're not registered. I think she did it just because she took them camping with her sometimes. Oh, so she wanted them to be identifiable, like if they got away. That totally makes sense. I don't think there's that many that take people that um, take their goats camping, though, so... I mean, I feel uh, like if you had a description, it would have been fine, but whatever. But Kathy I don't takes know. takes her chickens camping, so. That's fair. But chickens are a little more portable. <laughs> than goats, and they don't yell quite as much. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's oh. a little different. <laughs> and my last name suggestion was going to be dog and fish. <laughs> because, like, obviously the cats are neither dog or fish, so it's kind of funny in that uh, way. But also, there's a great brewery called Dogfish Head, and we used to have a dog named Dogfish, so I was partial to that one. That's funny because I almost um, 
use or drank a dogfish head beer today. Oh, maybe. that would have been uh, very serendipitous. Yes, but it would have been a repeat. So I was like, I don't, it's too early to start repeating beer in this <laughs> podcast. So I didn't do it yet. I still need to make that list of everything that we've drank on the podcast. And as Ooh, we yeah. add more episodes, that's getting harder and harder because now the list is getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> See, this is when we need an assistant to listen to all of our episodes and to figure it out for us. Maybe someone can volunteer to do that. And this is funny. We have super organized notes, but we've gone on a lot of farm tangents today. We have. That's all right. They're farm tangents. They count, right? Yeah. They're okay. I did mention bunnies earlier, and I did want to say that I finally got rid of 10 of the bunnies. Oh, um, awesome. From the the semi-surprise litter and the complete surprise litter that we had this summer. Um. And Sam is officially a bunny vendor for Rule King in Heartland, Michigan. Like, I finally gave them my paperwork, so I'm, like, registered with them. That's <laughs> like, pretty exciting. Legally. So if I did, like, a shit ton of stuff for them, I would have to pay taxes. But it's not like I'm making a ton of money doing this. So, yeah. But the bunnies were going wild. They were... Um, jumping out of their enclosure and running all over the garage. So our garages, there's like bunny poop everywhere. Luckily, it's super easy to clean up. But um, yeah, so the when you go in the garage now, it's not nearly as fun because you don't have like five bunnies running around everywhere. Because um, yeah, I think they just, you know, I think when you have that many in one spot, there's some conflicting personality things happening, and one of them was for sure a bully. Mm. Um, so when we were even like unloading them at Roll King into their new enclosure, like one of them started just being an asshole. So he got separated into his own tank, and she's like, "I'm gonna tell people that this is a one bunny household kind of bunny," because um, he just didn't want to play nicely with others and then there was one black bunny that was getting picked on by other ones too so he was just like we i put him in the wrong box when we were boxing him up and he started getting attacked right away and he just started screaming so yeah so they all have personalities but they're all gone now which thank god because they eat so much food and their little poop machines. So while I <laughs> while my barn or while my garage is not nearly as fun anymore, I am glad that they've gone somewhere where people will think they're cute and they'll adopt them and you know bring in some revenue to Rule King, um, which is one of my favorite stores. So it's kind of it's fun to be a part of that store since I go in there, um, and it's like the Walmart of farm store. So I just really enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> and does that make TSC the target of farm stores? Because I really yes. like TSC. <laughs> Ooh, yes, because TSC is a little more expensive. But they have far they they have their cute, you know, Christmas stuff up. So Oh, that's right. Okay, so perfect. That totally makes that's sense why I always go to TSC. Well that and I don't have a rural king, so although yeah. I do now. It just hasn't been built yet. They parked Ooh. their truck like in front of an old Kmart. A Kmart <gasps> finally went down and a rural king is taking it over. So Bev, get excited. Okay. You're you're about to understand. <laughs> <laughs> 
You've heard us talk about how awesome our monthly Henny and Rue boxes are, but have you heard about their Coop Basics monthly box? Yeah, Henny and Rue's Coop Basics box is a new subscription option featuring a big one and a half pound bag of spectacular shrimp, um, which we all know that our chickens go really well for it because we got it in one of our Henny and Rue boxes. Um, it also comes with a big bag of the Coop Complete Dried Herbs and their three-in-one vitamin, electrolytes, and probiotics. And all of those are delivered every month. I absolutely love the three-in-one vitamins, electrolytes, and probiotics, too. It's so easy just to dump that packet in, and it makes one gallon, and it's just, like, stupid easy. I really appreciate that. And you can go over to HennyAndRue.com and save 10% on your Coop Basics box using code DRINKANDFARM and never run out of your Coop Basics again. Henny and Rue really is better chicken keeping delivered. Um, so good news. LaCroix isn't going to kill me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I I felt like this was another piece of follow-up I should look at because it just randomly dawned on me. Like, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I haven't heard anything else about it. So I did some Googling and found this really great article on 538.com, and we can link to it in the show notes. But the article is titled, No, LaCroix isn't poisoning you like you're a giant cockroach. (laughs) And to that, I said, hallelujah. And of course, I did some cross-referencing and some other research. But it sounds like, you know, we're in the clear. (laughs) And we're allowed to drink LaCroix, LaCroix and not be as concerned. Well, so I don't know if you remember this, but when we talked about that, I kind of had a feeling that this was the case. Like, do you remember that whole debacle where, who was it? Um, the food babe said that uh, Subway's um, bread was made with the same ingredients that they used to make yoga mats. <laughs> no. You don't remember that? Oh, yeah. No. I mean, so I don't remember, like, all of the details or, like, which ingredient it was she was talking about specifically. But, I mean... Okay, so here's the way things are made. You take all of these basic ingredients or chemicals or whatever you want to call them. Because, like, when you really think about it, like, everything that comes out of the environment has, like, a chemical compound. You know, right. Because um, that's the way that science works. Um, and when you combine them in certain combinations, they create different things or they have different reactions. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, on a molecular level, I'm sure that bread and yoga mats have something in common, um, but it requires, like, the specific combination of chemicals in order for it to either be bread, which is something right. edible and you can eat, or yoga mats, which is something spongy and soft <laughs> that you do your yoga on or you just lie in corpse pose on, whatever, yes. whatever floats your boat. <laughs> exactly. So the culprits in this lawsuit were Lylanol or Lenalol. I'm totally saying that wrong. I have no idea um, how to say that. But apparently it's in a lot of fruits like blueberries. And then Limonini, <laughs> also probably <laughs> slaughtering that after, you know, two glasses of wine. Well, a glass and a half, we'll call it. Um, it's a naturally occurring plant compound, also found in some prized cannabis strains, if you're into that sort of thing. And propanate is found in ginger as well as lavender and sage oils. So this stuff is naturally occurring. Um, this lawsuit claimed that these ingredients um, 
had been listed by the FDA as synthetic, but that's kind of misleading because um, while these do show up on that list, that's just because they're synthesized in a lab. When they're made that way, the FDA calls them, quote-unquote, artificial flavoring. And when they're extracted from a plant or animal, they're considered natural. So the FDA doesn't really verify that on the labels of food products, um, it's just their black and white way of dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, which makes sense. When you think of, like, all the things that they have to deal with, they can't, like, get into the nitty-gritty of every single thing. Right. And the good news is there's really no difference between these chemicals being synthesized in a lab versus um, extracted from plants. They're exactly the same, um, and there's no risk from one versus the other. The major difference is that they cost a lot more to derive from plants than to make in a lab. So you're going to pay three to five times more getting it straight from the plant. So that's why LaCroix is so damn expensive but delicious. And it throws that natural label on it. Because, you know, that's giving you, the consumer, a reassuring sense of purity and belief that the product is free from adulteration. So you're paying for the word natural when it's exactly the same as, you know, this being synthesized in a lab, which is kind of crazy when you when it comes down to that. <laughs> well, I think that's important to point out, though, um, because I think that we do end up, like, getting these buzzwords stuck in our head. Or, like, Mm -hmm. you know, what we should look for. But, like, even when something isn't necessarily done naturally, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad or awful, I guess. Right. That's what they're looking for. Exactly. And it's so easy to be judgmental or think you're doing something better for yourself when you use these things to whip up something natural in your kitchen when those ingredients might not be well-suited for something that can be commercially produced. Um, And that's why we have food chemists that use their tools to create products that taste good when they reach your table and essentially are the same thing, but can be produced on a mass level. Like doing, you know, making your apple cider vinegar the way you do isn't necessarily going to work, you know, if you're trying to sell it to thousands and thousands of people. Yeah, because it does definitely have like a shelf life. I mean, so far I haven't had any go bad necessarily, but I use it up faster than it like just sits there so um so I can't mm-hmm. really comment on how long it would actually live but yeah you're right like I just put them in jars so like the chance that they're going to end up with mold on the top of them is a lot higher um yeah I mean so I think what's important to say here also is like so it's good to try to pick foods that aren't necessarily like mass produced because like we know everything that went into them. But it's also right. a reminder to yourself that like if you have to pick out things that have been created by a company, when it's by a company that's trying to do the right thing, like in the most cost effective and like flavor conscious and health conscious way, th- that's okay. It's okay to yeah. support that and it's okay to buy those things. Right. And something I truly appreciated from this article, too, and I'll quote it directly, um, it says, The great irony here is that a food scientist, Sarah Tabor, pointed out on Twitter, the whole reason that bug killers might contain things like Lena Lolan is that in the first place is because makers realize people don't want to spray chemicals in their house to get rid of bugs and preferred natural plant-based repellents. Turns out there's no way around it. All the products we buy contain chemicals. 
Yeah, I I really like that quote. Um, it would be like if um, so, uh, Dirty Knees Farm. She recently made um, like a, a homemade pesticide to kill mm. some bugs that have been eating her fall crops, and it's made out of like a bunch of peppers. It's got some ghost peppers and stuff on it. Um, you can find her on the Instagram at Dirty Knees Farms, and you can go check out that post. Um, if anybody's interested in it, but yeah, basically like she made her own insecticide out of peppers, but like you would never see a pepper labeled in the grocery store as being an insecticide, even though it can totally be used for that, that purpose. Exactly. Like it will kill the bugs or keep the bugs away. Exactly. And like you said before, I think this is another great example to not beat yourself up if you know, you're not buying organic pesticide free blah 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 everything all the time because it could just like this turn out to be oh yeah this can be used for this to kill cockroaches but that doesn't mean that you know that it was genetically modified that way to do that like it's just naturally occurring right yeah and it's also a good reminder to ourselves as well i think we talked about this in the codfather episode just because we don't understand something doesn't mean that it's scary or bad or wrong like yes we have the ability to take the time to like dive deeper into things that matter to us and mm-hmm. we should spend that time rather than automatically like just boycotting something because we heard something somewhere that it might be something that also kills cockroaches because like my yes. boot kills cockroaches also but I mean, How I mean, I'm not going to eat it, boot. but, <laughs> <laughs> but you wear it and it's a killer, Bob. Right. <laughs> no. And you know, and bread and yoga mats are not the same thing. Um, you wouldn't give a homeless person a yoga mat to eat, right? You would get them bread or some kind of food that they could actually consume. Yeah. <laughs> it's like potato, potato, like, come on. Like, I mean, they are both know. kind of soft and squishy that's true and you know what if I was really desperate maybe I would try eating a yoga mat but it would not taste as good as some really good bread it depends on how hungry I get on my diet I would rather just go get like day old Jimmy John's bread (laughs) if I needed to (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) no Jimmy John's is not a sponsor Sam's just really hungry and if you listen to the BS before this you would realize that Bev and Sam have been drinking, and we only had, like, string cheese in between the BS in this episode. So, yeah, we're just hungry. (laughs) Messy Mildred is the place to find everything you need to pamper your chickens or other fowl pets from beak to toe when you find dirty bum feathers in your flock. Choose from shampoos specially formulated for feathers in amazing scents like lemongrass, tea tree, and lavender, or go full spa day with their new salty egg bombs. That's right. Their salty egg bombs are made with Epsom salt, baking soda, citric acid, and organic essential oils to provide a non-toxic, natural, detoxifying, and soothing experience for your feathered friends. And your hands, too. Gosh, I'm kind of jealous. I might have to throw one of those into my bath. Um, also, know your egg layers are being pampered on the outside with natural and earth-friendly ingredients that have no synthetic fragrances or colors. I mean, why would you bathe your omelets in that garbage? Come on. Yeah, so go to MessyMildred.com and you can totally pamper your chickens from beak to toe every day or, you know, whenever they need it. So now we're into the meat and potatoes of the episode. 
What That's do we got right. on the docket today? Oh, oh my God. It's time to winterize the coop. <laughs> Woohoo! Everyone's favorite time of the year when it gets colder and it's time to winterize. And winterizing doesn't mean decorating your chicken coop for the holiday season. <laughs> no, no, no. Nope. Chicken coops require like specific things to be best suited for your chickens and like mm-hmm. for efficiency and stuff, you know, based on the season. Yes. But my goal is to actually put some like holiday lights, Christmas lights up on the coop this year and make it super cute because I see it on Instagram and I get really jealous. But first we must winterize. So chickens are actually really good at keeping themselves warm and they're surprisingly cold hardy for the most part. Now there's some breeds that are probably a little more prone to the cold, like the bantam breeds. Or the naked necks. Exactly. And you know, we have a lot of chickens molting around here right now, so I feel extra bad for them too. Um, they seem to take it okay, but still, you know, you, you never want to uh, put clothes on your chicken if you feel bad for them, except for maybe like a cute photo shoot or something, you know, again, Instagram, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but they're pretty good at keeping themselves warm, right? Um, yeah, and that's because the way that they keep themselves warm is they fluff up their feathers, um, which traps air underneath, like all that soft, downy goodness that they have in there. And mm-hmm. that their bodies warm that air. And then their feathers keep that air trapped up against their bodies, and that helps insulate them. Gosh, I kind of wish I could do that in the winter. Mm, me too. <laughs> Unfortunately, the layer of fat I add in the winter does not do the same thing. No, mine either. Um, but I do want to point out before we really jump into like the best way to deal with your chickens in the winter, I want to point out that chickens do not need heat in the coop by default. They just don't. Um, however, we've kind of bent before here when it was like below zero and nasty wind chill last winter, we did add some supplemental heat, but we were very smart with the way we did it. Um, we did a couple of things. So we had a cozy coop flat panel, cozy coop flat panel heater. I talked about it before. It kind of looks like, um, like a small flat screen TV. Um, and it uses both radiant and convection heat and it just uses 200 Watts, which is 87% less energy than a traditional, um, 15,000 watt space heater. And it won't catch your shit on fire. Um, (laughs) so I highly recommend (laughs) looking into that product because we use it and I love it. Um, just make sure it's mounted safely. If you have smaller chickens or chicks, because you don't want it to fall over on them, they'd probably be okay, but I'm just extra paranoid. Um, but it's, it's a flat panel panel heater. So it just kind of, you know, radiates the heat a little bit. The chickens can walk over to it. It's like a consensual thing. Like if they want heat, they can go to it, but they can also get away from it. Which is really Um, important. Yes. You don't want to trap them in the coop with a heat source that they can't get away from. You also have the option of a thermo heated pad. Um, the one we use is a KNH pet products, thermo peep heated pad. You can either put it in a nesting box or just put it in a cozy spot. They'll find it. They'll hang out with it. It's also a great option for chicks. Um, if you don't want to use a heat lamp, um, you know, for chicks, it's a little different in my opinion, cause they're not flying up into the heat lamp. Full grown chickens will, you know, fly up into a heat lamp, smash it. Everything 
is on fire yeah. and bad. And then it's all of a sudden KFC at your house. And you don't want to do that. No, definitely not. Um, That's traumatic for everyone involved. Just don't do it. I've got one of those uh, cozy coop flat panel heaters. I actually haven't taken it out of the box. I ordered it from Amazon after you talked about it in one of your YouTube videos. Mm. Um, So that was why I bought mine. Um, So we'll link to that in the show notes so that you can take a look at it. So I haven't put mine in my coop, but it doesn't usually get that cold here. We only had a couple of days at like negative 10 last winter. Um, But I actually have mine in a barn stall, um, which is where I put the sick chickens or like right now the murderino chickens are in there. So I'll move their crate up against it and turn it on if they're still in there when it gets cold enough that I feel like they might need some supplemental heat. Um, Because when a chicken is sick and it's all by itself, it can't snuggle with its flock mates to stay warm. And same with these like small murderino chickens that I have. Um, There's only three of them. So they don't have like they can't create as much body heat as say you know a coop full of 60 chickens can right it's just different um we have our flat pan- plant that's a we hard have- thing to say together flat we have panel. a flat panel um mounted inside of our chicken tractor within Buckingham palace so it's in the top part that's completely enclosed so the chickens have the option of going up the stairs um, our younger chickens, the my pet chicken chickens that I have, they're about mm, 14, 15 weeks old. So they're fine, but um, they have that option to go upstairs and stand by that if they want it at this point, because it's been pretty cold at night here. Um, it's been like upper 20s, lower 30s. And I just want to make sure they're good to go because we did lose one of those um, chicks a couple weeks ago. I have no idea why. Aww. Um, but I was really pissed off because it's one of the ones that I waited for that long to get that bunch of chickens for that breed. And of course that's the one that dies. That's exactly the way it goes. That's why I bought them in pairs. I hate to say that. Yeah, (laughs) no, I'm going to, but you know what? I have most of the chicken breeds that I want now. So I'm going to do that next year. When I order, I'm going to order like two of each. Yeah. So rest in peace, Ava, my Appelhausen Spitzhaben, if I'm saying that correctly. And she was named after Ava, Bra- Ava Braun? <laughs> a little bit, which is kind of <laughs> sick and wrong because it's like a German chicken. Well, but it's also your ancestor, so. It is! You know what? You learn from your mistakes, right? So she was just supposed to be a reminder, and then she's gone now. So um, so I'm extra on edge with them. I want to make sure I'm giving them vitamins and probiotics when there's severe temperature drop like we had last week. Um, just to be sure, it doesn't hurt anything to do that once in a while, in my opinion, anyways. So I'm kind of a helicopter chicken mom with them right now. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think we're all going to kind of chicken mom based on our experiences and what's currently happening, like right, right. now. Yeah. So how do you handle cleaning your coop in the winter? Oh, um, so I actually use the deep litter method. Um, okay. And I'll be totally honest, I did not get this down successfully last year. Um, but I think I've done enough research on it this year that I think I'll be able to do it. And in fact, I've already started because it's gotten cold enough. I haven't bothered cleaning the coop out. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, here's the deep litter method in an eggshell. So you start by spreading like a three to four inch layer of clean litter on the floor of the coop. 
Um, I use straw, um, but you can also use like those, um, what's like the pine shavings that come in like the block. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the, that's another yeah. like really popular chicken bedding option. Like some places say dry grass clippings or leaves, um, but I don't know. I wouldn't throw those in the coop because you don't know if you've got any like pests or like diseases hidden in those like grass clippings right. or those fallen leaves. So that's why I don't do that. Um, but once a week as the manure accumulates, which is mostly under the roost, um, you just throw another thin layer of litter on top and you can throw a handful of scratch grains in there daily and your chickens will sort of mix it up for you so that it's kind of like um, like you would do with a compost pile. And the chickens mm-hmm. will scratch it around and kind of turn it. Um, and that helps keep the bottom layer sort of breaking down and decomposing, which helps naturally rise the temperature of your coop. Um, one of the uh, one of the caveats of the deep litter method is that the decomposition does increase the humidity level, which can be bad um, for frostbite on the combs and wattles. So Mm -hmm. you have to be really careful that um, your coop is really well ventilated. And you also shouldn't notice an odor or like any ammonia smell coming from your coop. Because if you do, that means that the deep litter litter method isn't working very well. And you need to add a little more litter. Um, Because like, you know, the smell of straw or the um, pine shavings, they smell like sweet and clean. So as mm-hmm. you're adding those, that should help, you know, keep the smelly stuff down at the bottom so that it can do its breakdown thing. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. We don't actually use the deep litter method. Um, my husband believes we have way too many birds for this and that there's just too much poop in our coop, which I did a real full cleaning of it um, last weekend and I would have to agree with him for the most part on that. Um, it would be kind of an interesting experiment, but my husband did kind of do a head count today and he believes we have at least 60 to 70 chickens, <laughs> um, which, you know, I've just been capping it at 50 and saying to people that I don't truly know how many I have. Uh, so now I'm just going to say 60 and that I truly don't know how many I have. Um, (laughs) is my blanket (laughs) statement when people ask me how many I have. Um, so we just, you know, clean it out, which, you know, my husband, God bless him, does most of that, um, in the winter, especially because I don't want to drag the wheelbarrow through the snow. So he handles that. We do, we'll do like a mini version of this, but we won't let it go the whole winter. Um, just because it, it would just be so heavy and such a pain in the ass in the spring that I would hate my life. Yeah. Well, and you know, another option too is, um, I don't know how your roosts are set up, but you can still like deep litter the floor, but put like trays or, um, tarps under the roosts so that you can clean the poop out for the most part daily. So that the only poop that's accumulating on the floor is like what's happening as they're walking around in there. So that's way less poop because most of their pooping is done while they're roosting at night. Oh, yeah. And I've been bringing that up to him because people actually buy your chicken shit from you. Oh, yeah, because it's awesome in the garden. Exactly. So I told him we should set up tarps and just like store it or sell it, you know, in the spring, summer when people are starting to put their gardens together. Um, we just haven't gotten that far yet, but it might have to officially go on the honeydew list for him to figure out how to 
rig that in a in a efficient and easy to deal with manner because I think it would save us quite a bit of time and then we would never have to change the shavings under there either yeah because they would be clean because the poop would Mm -hmm. all be caught yeah which would save you money in the long run exactly because we use pine shavings and it's not cheap because we have to use like at least five bags in Cluckingham Palace oh my goodness yeah because you have a really really big poop yeah, it's because we got a lot of chickens. I only use a half a, a half a bale of straw in mine. In the winter, I'll throw down a full one. In fact, today I was supposed to throw down more straw, but I didn't get around to it. But tomorrow, I'll throw the other half on the ground. Um, and then I'm going to really start my deep litter build up. But I saw that they already had a nice little pile under the roost bars. I was like, all right, that's a good start. I'll cover it up. I'll let it start doing its thing. We'll see there if it works. If it doesn't work, I just clean it out and then I try again. Yeah. Is basically what I do. You can tell if it's not working because it stinks. And if your yeah. chicken coop stinks, you know that they smell it even worse because, you know, they're like down on the ground because they're like knee high. Right. And they're just in it 24-7, you know, if they're not outside. So. Yeah. Yeah. Ours was smelling a little rank. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> Sometimes you get downright embarrassed about it, but then you talk to other people who oh, are yeah. chicken keepers and you realize that that happens to all of us. So, Oh, yeah. <sighs> no, I felt so bad, but yep, it, like you said, it happens to all of us, so you just got to deal with it. Well, and something else I do in the wintertime is I always keep a hygrometer in the coop, and I'll put a link to one of those in the show notes in case somebody doesn't know what that is, um, but basically it's a little thing that measures the temperature and the humidity inside there. Um, And I do that, number one, because I want to know if the coop is dropping below freezing because then I know that I need to collect eggs more often because you don't want frozen eggs in your nesting boxes. Um, Mm -hmm. But by keeping tabs on the humidity, you're also um, you also have sort of a heads up whether or not your ventilation system is working, because if it's too humid in there, you're going to end up with more frostbite on the combs and wattles, especially for those chickens that have the bigger, floppier combs and wattles. So, um There has been some writing that Vaseline works to prevent frostbite. I haven't seen any proof that that actually works. Um, But I used the honey and rue wattle and comb salve last year. Um, I still ended up with a little bit of frostbite here. um, But I think it was less than I would have had if I hadn't put anything on it. Yeah, we struggled with it quite a bit here, too, from our bigger comb birds. We didn't really use much of anything. Um, Rooster Booster, a.k.a. Bandit, a.k.a. the the chicken mascot of Drinking Farm, um, he lost all of his points. Um, But he did it, and we kept a close eye on it. They just fell right off. There was no bleeding, nothing traumatic, and he still looks adorable. Um, He's still a very healthy chicken. So I want to point out here, too, if frostbite happens to your chickens, do not beat yourself up because you'd be amazed how many people struggle with it. Yeah, it happened and to it both just happens. of us last year. Yeah, and it just happens. And sometimes even if you're doing everything you can to prevent it, like they're still chickens. They do whatever the heck they want. Like they'll, they're going to get it if they're going to get it. <laughs> Yeah, because sometimes they'll just like go outside when it's like wet and rainy, like that freezing Mm -hmm. rain is going on, and then they'll go roost, and then it freezes overnight, and you end up with frostbite, so yeah, totally. 
I don't know if you could hear that, but a really big, like, combine just went by. <laughs> Hashtag drink and farm. Yeah, luckily this is a farming podcast, so those yeah. things are going to happen. There we go. Um, <laughs> another thing that you're going to have to worry about in the wintertime is keeping the water from being frozen mm-hmm. um, because your chickens have to have water. That is not negotiable. Nope. So um, we made a, a water heater out of a cement block and a 60-watt light bulb. Um, we have electricity in our coop, so we just plugged in like a like a lamp based thing that just held a light bulb, and we put one of those cement blocks over it. We cleaned it out so that inside where the light bulb is, there's no dust or straw or anything. It's totally perfectly clean, and it's heavy enough the chickens can't move the block. And then we put mm-hmm. a, a cement cap on it, and then the metal water sits on top of that. And what happens is the light bulb warms up the cement cap. And then the cement cap keeps the base of the metal water from freezing so that they always have water flowing out of their, I don't know what to call it. You know, it's one of those big metal waterers that you buy that yeah. you normally hang like from the ceiling. Yeah. Right. So that's super fancy. And, like, <laughs> we just like totally DIY'd and- it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's cool. So what Sam's been using is fish tank caterers. And the nipple waterers. I see. I think those are way cooler. <laughs> well, so sometimes those will freeze, but it's less frequent than some other options. Um, but I found out today that we are going to start researching moving away from the glass tank heaters um, this winter since there's a small chance of them exploding and then electrifying the water. Oh, no. <gasps> Yikes. Yeah. Um, so we're going to look at plastic or some other options because I didn't even think of that until my husband like said he did some research on that. And I was like, oh, that would be really bad. Like it'd probably just be like a tiny bit that the chicken would get electrified. But I don't want to put that risk, <laughs> you know, with how susceptible they are to like heart attack or anything yeah. like that or just stress. Like I don't want to do that to them. So <laughs> I agree. With we'll that. be looking at other fish tank heaters. I like the fish tank heater because it keeps it far above freezing. Whereas some of the other options that you have just keep it above freezing and it's, they just freeze over a lot faster. So that's why I like the fish tank heaters. I mean, mine keeps it just barely above freezing. And in fact, um, when it is like around zero or below zero, it doesn't work anymore. Um, yeah. because especially when the water is full, like the, the whole top area of it will freeze solid. So then we'll have to take yeah. the top off, pour boiling water on top of it so that it'll melt. And mm-hmm. it's kind of a pain. Yeah. Winter. I'm not looking forward to that. Water in the winter is the absolute worst. I think it's the hardest part of keeping animals. If I'm going to be totally mm-hmm. honest. I mean, and now that I'm over a year into it, I think feel like I can say that there's still a lot of things I haven't done but at this moment in my life that is the hardest part of animal keeping right now at least with goats you can just get like the heated water buckets and they're good to go I was gonna ask you how you did your goats so it's a heated water bucket but I don't have electricity in my pasture oh see we don't have electricity in Cluckingham Palace but we run a very long extension cord oh okay that might have to be what we do (sighs) <sighs> yeah, unfortunately, it's not pretty, but it works. All of the things. Yeah. So, what else do we need to do? Oh, for um, winter. So, I also I didn't do this until really late last winter, but I wrapped my run in a tarp. 
Um, okay, yeah. And the reason I did that is because the chickens do not like walking on snow, or at least mine don't. <laughs> so what would happen is, is it would snow overnight, and then I would open their run door, and they wouldn't come out. So then they would stay yeah. in their coop. But if you've got a tarp over their part of their run, not the whole thing, but just part of it, then they at least have an area that's free from snow, even if it is really cold and muddy and gross. They don't care about that. They just won't walk out if it's covered in snow. But if you find that your run does get too much snow in it, you can just throw a layer of straw over it and then they'll come out but I'm telling you wet heavy disgusting straw is really hard to shovel out when it comes time and unfortunately yeah. it just doesn't break down fast enough to leave it in there to like deep litter so I found that throwing straw on the grounds has to has to be cleaned up eventually yeah last summer or last summer Jesus last winter we would shovel paths for them so they'd come out when we let them free range Otherwise, they just stand at the door and look at you like, I'm not coming out there. <laughs> They're like, um, you're joking, right? <laughs> so we'd open the run every day, and our run doesn't have a cover over it right now. But we do the tarp around like the perimeter of it to help with the breeze so it's not as drafty towards the coop when the run door is open. Um, but maybe this year we'll try to do something over a section um, so the snow doesn't get as nasty in there. Cause we, we, our intention was to create some kind of roof this summer. We just didn't get to it. Yeah. I had intended to like rebuild my whole run this summer and yeah, uh, we did clearly too. that didn't happen <laughs> next summer. Yes. That's the goal next summer. Yeah. Expand it and to create some kind of roofed area. For them, so the snow isn't as much of an issue. And I'd really like to move their waterers outside because they do suggest you put their water outside. Yeah, it keeps their um, coop drier, yep. which keeps the humidity down in the wintertime. Right, yeah, but to me, it feels like it's just going to freeze so much faster. Yeah, unfortunately, in the wintertime, my water does get moved inside the coop. Um, but that's just because I don't have a way to heat it safely out in the run mm -hmm. for now. Um, but we'll think of something eventually, I'm sure. And we'll inform all of you when we do that. <laughs> yeah, we sure will. Oh, We're um, just doing the best that we can with what we have right now. Something I have to mention about the tarp, though. So mm -hmm. I don't have a peaked run. My run is flat. I mm -hmm. had just stretched the tarp over it and attached it. And the first time it rained, it all collected on that tarp and almost oh. collapsed in the whole run. Oh, no. So I had to poke some holes in the tarp so that rainwater can still oh. get through. So it doesn't keep, unfortunately, my tarp doesn't keep the run dry, but it does stop the snow from accumulating, at least, you know, That's like good. right outside the door. So, yeah, I would prefer to keep them a little drier during the months where we have freezing rain. Um, but like, like we said earlier, the chickens are pretty cold hardy. So that's yeah, they do most of the work themselves. Thank goodness. <sighs> they really do. Um, and the last thing that I do uh, for the winter is I like to feed my chickens a handful of scratch grains at night. I already mentioned the scratch grains earlier um, that helps uh, speed up the decomposition when you're doing the deep litter method. Um, but uh, in addition to that, when you throw it out at night instead of first thing in the morning, they keep those grains inside their stomachs while they're roosting. And um, while they're sleeping, their digestive system is running, which is keeping them just a little bit warmer. 
But don't give them too much grains because oh. you don't want fat chickens either because we've right. talked about how fat chickens are not healthy <laughs> chickens. <laughs> small handful, yeah. small handful of grains. They don't need a ton. Yes. <laughs> and they'll love you for it too. Oh, or they you, really you will. You probably do any kind of treat like grubblies or anything like that and they'll be perfectly happy to gobble those right up. Yeah. You know, the grains will last just a tiny bit longer in their stomachs so, though because they're a little harder mm-hmm. to digest. Um, so that's usually why I do that at night. Maybe you could do like a little parfait mixture. Oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. Or maybe bring them some scrambled eggs with some stuff sprinkled on it. Oh, mm-hmm. yep. They like that too. Yeah. I like to bring mine scrambled eggs and oatmeal in the winter when it's super cold. I do that also. Feed that to them. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know what's really cool about all this though is that it transfers over to other kinds of poultry like ducks rather easily. The rules are pretty much the same for ducks. I do um, the tarp idea. Luckily, their run is covered. Um, but I still wrap two out of the three open sides out of the uh, of the fence run area to help with the wind. Um, I do leave them some space to look outside because they always get freaked out when you wrap the run. They're very skeptical about it for a few days because they think it's a big, scary monster. Oh, I always leave one side uncovered so that they still get like natural daylight and wind and a little bit of a breeze. That way they get like fresh air and stuff in there. Yeah, that's important, I think, because you your instinct is to wrap the whole thing. But really, it's okay to leave some of it open. I just cover the sides that are more likely to get the most like aggressive breed I got aggressive breeze yeah that makes sense then you don't have the blowing snow and the blowing rain coming into exactly yeah um and for the ducks because obviously ducks love water um we keep their pools open during the winter we just have the plastic cheap kitty pools and we put bird bath heaters in there and it actually works really well Unless it's super cold, like below zero wind chill or the actuals being like below zero. Um, but usually you can still like stomp it open at that point. Yeah. And the ducks don't care. They love all the colds. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They have um, a really nice thick layer of body fat. And then they, they have those down feathers that are waterproof underneath. So they'll splash around in that freezing cold water, not giving a care in the world. They just they do so well it's amazing um i do get concerned about their little duck feet but when they get cold they just sit down on their feet and they're good to go oh genius it's pretty cute i wish i could sit on my feet in the winter i know right (laughs) i'm not that flexible anymore (laughs) no me neither um and for our ducks we just do a partial or full cleaning at the duck house we don't we haven't tried deep litter with them we probably could because well, we probably could have last year. Now we have like 10 ducks in that house. So. <laughs> it's a little more. <laughs> it's just a little more. And we don't provide any extra heat in their coop um, at all. So there's a little article that I'm sure Bev will link in the show notes that's specifically about keeping ducks warm in cool weather um, from HDTV. Yes, I will totally link to that in the show notes. It's so funny that we're talking about winterizing the coop now because uh, it had gotten discussed this week in the group. Um, I saw that. But we already yeah. had the show notes typed up before that happened. So I was like, oh, hey, our group can like read our minds. We're trying to do things like timely. We are just so on trend right now. <laughs> That's right. 
So word on the street is we have a farm story. We do. We got a farm story emailed to us. So. And I did not read it because a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Bev said, Sam, you read the DMs and I'll read the emails for stories. Oh, and that's I right. recalled that out of the depths of my brain. I'm glad that, that you so remembered that because I forgot. So, <laughs> yeah. So today when I was like, do I see a farm story? You're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, you get to read it. So I'm not even looking at the notes right now. I'll let you entertain me. All right. Get ready to be entertained. Okay, I'm ready. All right. I'm going to read her email verbatim. Um, okay. So that's what I copied and pasted into the notes. We're a little new to this, so don't make fun of me. All right. <laughs> Hi, ladies. I love your podcast. I thought I would send you one of my farm stories. Cheers. Rachel. Well, thanks, Rachel. Aww. We're excited yeah, to read it. Woohoo. So she said... Growing up, my family always had horses, and one year we had three mares due to foal during a two-week period in February. Don't ask me why. I think we were a little crazy. So as we got close to the foaling date, we had the stalls cleaned and sanitized. One well-intentioned relative even attempted to use the Swiffer mop to really get a good clean on the stalls. She went through a lot of pads before she broke it. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, the time was near and we got started doing full checks every couple of hours and then every two hours. We also did a milk test to determine how close they were to foaling. I don't know if anyone else has ever tried to milk a very pregnant mare, but they really do not care for it. Oh, no. (laughs) The first mare foaled in the middle of the night and it went so smoothly. The filly was born in a clean, warm stall. She got up and ate right away and everything was great. The second mare was relatively new to us, and she was used to being outside all the time. As she got close, we were keeping her in her nice warm stall more often. The milk test gave us a 90% chance of foaling, and her due date came and went. After three days of keeping her in the stall and hand walking, this mare was cranky. So my mom let her into the paddock for a little bit, and we planned to keep an eye on her. I kid you not, the mare went straight for the back corner of the pasture to a small slope, laid down, and started pushing. Then it started pouring rain, and the slope turned into a muddy mess. Oh, my God. (laughs) We had a foal on the ground in about 30 minutes while her clean, dry, sanitized stall was several yards away. Of course. We did eventually (laughs) have to get involved as the filly got too tired to eat, and they need the colostrum that first meal. The vet helped us milk the mare for the second time, and all was well. It was a good lesson that it doesn't matter how prepared you are, but sometimes animals need to do their own thing. And as a bonus, now I know how to milk a horse. (laughs) I've never thought about milking a horse. Obviously, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you can milk anything with nipples, right? (laughs) Isn't that what they say? And like, meet the parents? (laughs) I think it was meet the fuckers. Or yeah, maybe it was meet the parents. I think you might be right about that. Yeah, pretty much. Oh my gosh. It's just funny you don't think about it. That's such a cute story though and it's so true and I think that's a great reminder of no matter how prepared you are animals are going to do what they want to do. Like when when people ask us like how do I prepare for goats or chickens? It's like well I can tell you this stuff but it doesn't necessarily mean that like absolutely nothing will go wrong. That's true. I mean because they do like they have like their own like instincts sort of bred into them. Yeah. So depending on their personality and their life experiences, like they're going to take to the things that you provide to them totally differently. Exactly. I love that somebody tried to clean a goat stall with a Swiffer, though. I just. That's amazing. 
<laughs> that sounds like something I would have tried to do last year. <laughs> like oh it has gosh. to be really, really clean. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for sending us your farm story. We appreciate it. It's it just it it feels so much more personal when people send us those stories because then we realize like people are are actually listening to us, which is almost gives me a little stage fright in a sense. But <laughs> right, but yeah, people, please send your farm stories via email. Um, our email is drinkandfarm at gmail or you can DM us on Instagram, Drink and Farm, um, or our Facebook, I guess, too. But we're mostly on Instagram and our email. So if you for sure want your story heard, um, send them our way and we'll get to them when we can. Yeah, for sure. And we appreciate getting them because it's fun to hear other people's experiences. Like Sam and I yes. wouldn't have had this experience because neither of us have horses. No. So, exactly. yeah. So this is really fun. So you guys get to tell us all about the crazy things that go on on your farms, even with animals that we have, but like also with animals that we don't have and probably won't end up having. So, yeah. And some of you are probably like legitimate farmers. Like that is your full time thing, and that is not Bev and Sam's full time thing. No, so we want to hear from you. <laughs> School us, teach us things about your drink and farm lifestyle because you your experiences are worth sharing. For sure. Because we yeah we don't know. Yeah, I I don't have cows on my property yet or pigs or anything like that. So I'm super interested to hear about your funny or your touching or even maybe your emotional farm stories. Like send them our way. Maybe somebody's goal should be to make Sam and Bev cry. Who knows? Oh no. That's totally a possibility. I mean, I just opened us up to it. So unless you edit this out, like it's totally a possibility now. Nope. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening guys. We really appreciate that you tune in and hear the things that we have to say. Yeah, we are. We drink and we farm things. Make sure you go check us out on Instagram at Drink and Farm. We like to um, check out our hashtag Drink and Farm during the week and feature two, sometimes more, depending on the week. Depending on um, how lazy Bev has been with photo taking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the same way. Um, and there are so many cute hashtag drink and farm posts that it's hard not to want to do more than two a week. So keep using it. The only rule is to drink and farm safely. Please and thank you. <laughs> so drink. Farm. And, and give, give zero, zero clucks. clucks. Bye, guys. Bye.